0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'm going to be speaking again this morning on this subject, the word of salvation. And it is the second time that Jesus spoke from the cross. And I hope that today's message will be a blessing to your heart. Those of you that are watching by internet, we want you to refer back to last Sunday's bulletin. That's where we are today. And so you haven't missed a thing. And those of you that are here this morning, I hope that you uh, have one. You got it when you came in this morning. And uh, it will serve you a great deal of justice when you study the word of God to uh, follow along with us here as we uh, study the seven sayings on the cross. And so I want you to look with me now in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse number 39. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, "If thou be Christ, save thyself and us." But the other answering rebuked him, saying, "Dost not thou fear God?" seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, now this is the second time, he spoke from the cross. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So as we study the seven sayings on the cross, this is the second time he spoke. When it comes to the preaching of the cross, when it comes to the study of the cross, it doesn't matter how much We teach about it. It doesn't matter how much we preach about it. It doesn't matter how much we study about the cross or how many times that we have heard the story about the cross. Listen carefully. I I don't think personally that it will ever be within our reach to adequately describe the agony of Calvary. And I want you to think about that. While we know that the death of Christ was intensified with shame, and we spoke a little bit about that previous to this message, Jesus was stripped naked before the world, before men. He was ridiculed with public condemnation. So Calvary was intensified with shame. It was also intensified with excruciating suffering. I've spoken many times on the scourging that Jesus received prior to going to the cross when they took the cat of nine tails and whipped the flesh off of his back. But there's another verse of scripture that I do not reference as often as some of these others, and I want you to see it today because it goes right along with the scourging that Jesus received. And the scriptures found in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number six. And I want you to see this, because we talk about in the scourging and the brutality of Jesus prior to Calvary, we, we talk about how they plucked his beard from his face and had human spittle dripping from his chin. This is the scripture, the prophecy given that that would happen in the scourging of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. The prophet said, I gave my back to the smiters. They whipped the flesh off of his back and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. They plucked the beard off of the face of Jesus before he went to the cross. And he said, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. So we do know that the death of Christ was intensified with shame, It was intensified with excruciating suffering. When you think about the crown of thorns, when you think about them placing the cross upon the back of Jesus that was filleted wide open, when you think about the nails that he would soon have in his feet, you think about the anger, the hostility that was hovering around the cross carried out by the hands of evil and wicked men, And here's the thing that I want you to understand that Calvary, the day of crucifixion, this was a day of celebration for the devil and his fallen angels. But the celebration, you say, why were they celebrating? Well, because they thought they had Jesus exactly where they wanted him. They thought this would be the end of him. But it wasn't going to work out like they thought or like they hoped for. This was a day of celebration for the devil, but far from the reality of what was going to happen. The celebration would soon turn to the throne of heaven. And the first time that Jesus spoke, let me remind you of the words when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And again, I want to remind you, it wasn't that they were ignorant of what they were doing. They just didn't realize the enormity of what they were doing. Forgiveness is not only necessary and an important part of the plan of salvation, the part of salvation, but forgiveness also affects the relationship that we have with God on a day-to-day basis, and it affects the relationship that we have with one another. Forgiveness is a huge part of this thing. But the second time he spoke from the cross, it was in direct response to this dying thief, And in his dying breath, this particular thief opened his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to mention something very briefly. If there was ever a perfect illustration of what deathbed salvation is all about, this would be it. I have led many people to the Lord on their deathbed. I'm thinking about one particular lady right now and she was moments from death and she was going in and out of consciousness and around her bedside was her family and I took her by the hand and I began to call her name and sporadically she would open her eyes and then she would close them again and she was coming in and out of consciousness. She was just moments from death. And I can remember taking her by the hand, sharing the gospel. I don't know how much of it she could comprehend, but I do know this. I said, in in these moments that are so important, would you like to trust Christ as your savior? And she took me by the hand. I held her hand and she squeezed my hand. And I'm saying, I'm counting that as a positive response. And I prayed the prayer of faith with her, and I asked her at the end of that, did you mean every word of that? She squeezed my hand, and she fell off into eternity. I cannot tell you how many times I've led people to the Lord on their deathbed, but I will tell you this. For the one that would say this morning, well, I'm going to sow my wild oats, I'm going to live my life. And on my deathbed, I'm going to give my heart to Christ. Listen, that's wishful thinking. That's boastful thinking. Do not assume that you're going to have a deathbed opportunity to trust the Lord as your personal Savior. The Bible says this is the day of salvation. Boast not of thyself of tomorrow. None of us have the guarantee of tomorrow. But when I think of this particular thief dying, that's exactly what it was. It was a deathbed salvation experience, an opportunity that was extended to him in his final breath. It's important for us to take notice that this thief, when he spoke from the cross, he did not ask for provisions for his family. He did not even ask, somehow, Jesus, would you get me off of this cross? He didn't ask to be relieved from the pain that he was likewise suffering. He did not ask that his crimes be retried and that they would go through this again. He simply said, Lord, remember me. Take me with you when you enter into your kingdom. This thief, and as we think about the old hymn of the faith at the cross, I don't know of a better position for a better individual that could really sing and apply the words to that if they were written back in his day. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. You think about that. He was hanging on a cross right beside the Lamb of God, and it's important for us to know that it was no accident that God allowed Jesus to be crucified between two thieves. I want you to think about this because in spite of everything that was happening on this day of crucifixion, while in heaven, God on his throne was carefully presiding over every single event of the cross. From eternity past, God had decided when the crucifixion would take place. When Jesus reached the age of 33 and a half years old, God had predetermined in eternity past when this would take place. He also ordained where it would take place. On a rugged hill called Calvary, Golgotha. In fact, I want to give you a scripture because this is important. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 12 says this, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. I've mentioned this a time or two before that there are several denominations who believe that Jesus was crucified and they have marked the place and built a great shrine over top of it. I've been in it one time too many. When I've taken people to the Holy Land with me, I've carried you into the church of the Holy Sepulcher. And they believe that's where Jesus was crucified. To me, it's just, uh, well, it's beyond my description this morning. It's not a very pleasant place to be. But Jesus was not crucified in the place that these people claim because it's inside of the city walls. Here, the scripture tells us that he was crucified without the gate. And so that's very important. That's a very important detail. God not only ordained when Jesus would go to the cross, he would not only ordain where that place would be, but he also ordained with whom it would be. And that would be between two thieves. So I want you to know something, that nothing about the cross, nothing about Calvary was a mistake. Nothing took God by surprise when Pilate turned Jesus over to the Jews and they placed him between two common criminals. They were putting into execution the eternal decree and fulfilling the prophetic word. And by the way, when Jesus was hanging on the cross between these two thieves, this is exactly the way that God designed it. It's exactly the way that he wanted it. 750 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 12. The word says, therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Look at this now. 750 years before the event of the cross took place, Isaiah penned these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now again, Jesus being crucified between two thieves was not a coincidence. And somebody, I realize, might ask this question, Pastor, why would God permit such a thing? Why would God go along with this? I mean, wasn't the shame enough? Wasn't the suffering enough? Why such disgrace? Why would God hang the Son of God between two thieves? Well, it's never good to question God as pertaining or insinuating or thinking maybe God didn't do it just right, or maybe perhaps that God made a mistake. But people do that all the time. People question God all the time. I know there are a lot of people that question God every single day. For example, there are people, maybe even in this auditorium this morning, watching by Internet, certainly around the world, that's questioning, well, if there was a God in heaven, why does he allow all the crime that's taken place in the world? If there's a God in heaven, why does he allow so much hate to be on this planet? If there's a God in heaven, why does he allow so much violence? Why does he allow all the weather that's gone bad? Why does God allow people to go hungry? Why does God allow disease in the world? Why does he allow poverty? Why does he allow Christians to be persecuted? Why does God allow all of these terrible things? And I know that there have been times, maybe even in your life, where you have questioned God. But the truth of the matter is this. We will never be able to understand God from a human perspective with our finite minds. It's just not possible. In fact, there's a scripture in Isaiah 55, verse 8. You're already in the book of Isaiah. I want you to look at this scripture. But Maybe somebody's asked the question concerning the scriptures. Why did God allow his chosen people to suffer 450 years in Egyptian bondage? Maybe somebody's wondering, why did God allow his chosen people to go through the horrific time of the Holocaust? Which, by the way, did really happen. There are some people that may wonder why God allowed his son to be born in a manger in a barn. Well, here's the answer to that. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 8, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So there are some things we just cannot figure out. There are some things we just cannot give an answer to. And I'm going to speak more about that in just a moment. But here the thing is this. We need to constantly remember that God never does anything without a reason he never does anything without a purpose he never acts arbitrarily and we need to rest in the fact that god is always in control there's never a time that god is not in control so listen carefully i don't know that i have the answer complete in my mind or in my heart i don't know that we could ever put it on paper why god allowed jesus to be crucified between two thieves. But if I speculate on it, if I think about that just for a moment, I think I have a couple of reasons why perhaps God allowed Jesus to be crucified between two thieves. Number one, to demonstrate the unfathomable depths of shame into which Jesus had to descend. I want you to think about this just for a moment. In his birth... Follow this now. In his birth, he traded the ivory palace of heaven for a stable. He traded the throne for a manger. He traded the angels, his surrounding angels for shepherds. He traded cherubims for disciples. And now in his death, he is numbered with the refuge with the scum of the earth. And so what this is, This is a picture of God's son coming into the poverty of the human race. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that through his poverty might be rich. So I want you to understand that's a possibility. Number two. Perhaps the reason that God allowed Jesus to be crucified between two thieves was to show us a picture of his position becoming our substitute. Here's the thing that we need to remember. Jesus became our vicarious substitute. Never forget that for one moment. He took our place. There was a song written many years ago that was entitled, I Should Have Been Crucified. I Should Have Suffered and Died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. That's what we cannot forget, that Jesus took our place on the cross. And then number three, perhaps God allowed Jesus to be crucified between two thieves to show us this, that no matter who it is, every single man no matter who he is or no matter what he has done, has an equal opportunity to be saved. I don't know that I can definitively put it down, but I believe that these are three good reasons why God allowed Jesus to be crucified between two thieves, whatever the reason was. Here's the important lessons that we learn from that. One thief rejected Jesus. The other thief received him. Both of these men were equally near the Lord. Both of these men, they saw him and they heard him. Both of these men were wicked men. Both of these men were thieves. Both of these men were worthy of death and both were suffering, both were dying and both urgently needed forgiveness and salvation. Here's the big difference. One man died in his sin. The other man died with faith in Christ. And I wonder if we realize that this exact thing is going on all over the world today. People are in the same condition. People are in the same circumstances. They have the same troubles. They're headed for the same devil's hell. Some people go to a church. And you think about this. I think about it all the time. Some people go to a church, they stand and they sing the same songs, they hear the same message going forth from the pulpit, they have access to the same Holy Spirit, yet somebody can come to a house of God where the gospel is being preached correctly, one person can hear it and go home lost, another person can hear it and go home saved, Do you think about that. One leaves blind and one leaves forgiven. The undisputable truth is this, that anybody that walks through these doors has the same opportunity as the other. Those of you that are watching today understand this, that the gospel message as it goes forth from this pulpit, I don't know what ears they're falling on, but everyone listening Whether you're here this morning or you're watching today, everybody has the same equal opportunity to be saved. Thank God that the gospel is for all men. Think about that. The Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we have to remember that the gospel of grace is free to everybody. Thank God it doesn't cost any money. It doesn't require any work. There's no age limit to it. There's no waiting period. It's the gift of God. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. And what a beautiful picture of God's grace we see in the salvation of this dying thief. This dying thief turned to Jesus when it appeared that Jesus could not save himself, much less anybody else. I'm telling you that when the Jews had prevailed, this man turned to Jesus when his own disciples forsook him, when public opinion was unanimously against him. Now listen carefully. The Bible doesn't say that there was a sermon going on While the crucifixion was being conducted, when Jesus was hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. Listen, nobody was down at the foot of the cross doing all the brutality of this while Jesus was still alive, while he was being crucified. Nobody was down at the bottom of the cross preaching a message, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Nobody was doing that. However, when Jesus did die, there was a Roman centurion that said, truly, this man is the son of God. Yet this thief looked beyond all doubt. And with unquestionable faith, he made this request of Jesus. Now, what are the lessons we learn from this thief? Number one, quickly, he represents us as sinners. And here's the thing. Maybe I can set this in a little order for you this morning, because many people have tried to portray this thief as a good thief. And maybe this thief was a better thief than the other thief. We need to remember this, that at the time this was taking place, prior to this man saying, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Here's the important truth that I want you to see this morning. Prior to that, this thief was just as bad as the other thief saying the same bad things to Jesus As one another, we're saying, you say, you got a scripture for that? Yes. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 27 real quickly. And I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 27 and beginning in verse number 38. This is important because you see this, this thief did not become a good thief on the cross. I want you to see this in first Matthew 27, verse 38. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they passed by, look at that, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. That's exactly what the devil wanted. The devil wanted Jesus to come down from the cross. He didn't want this to go all the way. But look at this, verse 43. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Now look at this. This is the key in verse 44. The thieves, not the bad thief. You see, we can't put these men in categories as a good thief and a bad thief. They were thieves. They were being crucified for their crimes. The thieves, notice that in the plural tense, also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. So what was happening while we think about the bad thief saying all of the bad things, we have to remember that the fella that we call the good thief he was also saying those exact things for a few moments prior to his eyes being opened up. He turned to Jesus now when those disciples forsook the Lord. And you think about this. He looked beyond all doubt at one point particular point and he represents us as sinners and and he was the same in heart as the other thief he was saying the same things he was mocking just like the others were and for a period of time there was no difference but slowly his eyes started to open up and here's the truth out of that it's a sad thing when men's eyes are open to the truth and they still reject the lord You think about it. Both of these men were hanging on a cross, the Lord Jesus in between, both hearing the same words of compassion, both seeing this beautiful, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, yet taking upon himself the sin of the world. Think about it. When men's eyes were opened, the eyes of this thief was open to the fact. Uh, And think about it. Jesus wasn't preaching a message. Nobody was down there preaching a sermon. But it was something about Jesus that just drew this man compassionately to the Savior. And his eyes started to slowly open up. And maybe you know somebody like that. It's a tragic thing to become aware of your spiritual needs, and you refuse to do something about it when you have an opportunity to do so. Another lesson, number two, is this. We learn from the thief. Is this. Man has to come to the end of self before they can be saved. To see ourselves, listen carefully, to see ourselves as lost sinners is not enough. It's important, yes, that you do see yourself as a lost sinner. But listen, a person cannot be saved unless he sees himself as a lost sinner. But we have to acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves. That's important. And so this repentant thief saw this. I have two scriptures that I want to give you, and I need to move quickly here. For when we were yet without strength in Romans 5, 6, in due time, Christ died for us. And in Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, the word says, Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And so before anybody can be saved, listen carefully, we have to realize that we cannot save ourselves. We have to realize that we're lost and we cannot save ourselves. And we have to realize that only Jesus can save us. This is what the conversion of the thief shows us. I mean, what could he do to save himself? You think about this. Could he start saying, well, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day if that was part of it, or I'm going to start a new leaf. I'm going to start walking the straight and narrow. I'm going to start giving money to the poor. I mean, think about this man was dying. He had no opportunity to turn his life around from this moment. This thief could not do anything to save his life, to save himself. He realized that only Jesus could do it. Number three, real quickly, another lesson this thief teaches us is that we do not have to be baptized to go to heaven. Uh, let me tell you, if there's one thing that I have had to explain to countless people through the years, and, and predominantly the denomination, uh, the the Church of Christ, they firmly, vehemently, adamantly believe that if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to be baptized. And I had a young man in my office one time, and he wanted to debate that. And uh, I said, "Well, what scripture do you have that you got to be baptized to go to heaven?" And he said, well, he said, it's just that the thief, he died under the law. I said, under the law? I said, what's that got to do with it? I said, first of all, he didn't die. Oh, yeah, he died under the law. And I said, he absolutely did not. And I need to show you this. I know our time's getting away. I want to get that to that paradise question for you in just a minute. But I want you to see something here. In Luke chapter 23, 43, look at the scripture. The Bible says, and Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, I want to teach you a biblical truth this morning. I may go over a few moments, but hey, we hadn't been here in three weeks. Somebody say amen. All right. So let me give you this now. I want you to see this truth. In John chapter 19, because I asked a young man, I said, what scripture are you using? Well, he died under the law and that's as far as he could take it. I said, the thief did not die under law. I want, you to, I want you to see something here. Same thing I shared with this young man. In, Luke, in John chapter 19, I want you to notice something in verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that, look at this, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But look at verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, these thieves did not die until After Jesus had died, Jesus died first. So let me tell you this. That was the age of grace. When Jesus died on the cross, that's when the age of grace became afresh. Before his death on the cross, people were living under the law. When he died on the cross, it became the age of grace. Now these thieves, they were still alive. The Roman centurions were going to expedite the crucifixion, breaking their legs. You know how it was. They were hanging on the cross with their feet nailed to the cross. They were bent like this. And what the thieves would do ever so often, or what uh, people did of all persuasions that were crucified under Roman authority, they they would hang on the cross and they would push themselves up just a little bit to have an air. A a gap of air, a breath of air in their lungs. And then they would fall back down. And then ever so often, they would push themselves back up and breathe. And then they would collapse again like this. But here's the thing these thieves were still alive. It was the Sabbath. It was the Passover. They wanted to get it over with. So the Roman soldiers, they came to break, why did they break the legs of the thief? Because now they couldn't push themselves back up to breathe. Now they would suffocate. So they broke the legs of the first thief. They broke the legs of the second thief. And when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs. By the way, that was a prophecy that not a bone was to be broken. But listen carefully. When they got to Jesus, he was Already dead. Those thieves did not die under the age of the law. They died under the age of grace. Somebody say amen. And look at this. Jesus didn't say, This day thou shalt be in paradise. Look at it carefully. He said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that's significant. When a person today, when a believer today in the age of grace dies, they go immediately directly to heaven where the Lord Jesus is. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse number 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I want to say a couple of things about paradise for the next few moments, if I can. You have on your bulletin today, where was it? Where is it? And what is it? Now let me say this. There are a lot of things in this Bible in the 66 books that we don't understand. There are a lot, no matter how many times that we read this book, there's not a human being on the face of this earth that will ever master this Bible. Not one person on the earth, and I don't care how many uh, seminaries and theologians there are, nobody will ever master this book from cover to cover. The truth of the matter is, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that's not even in this Bible. And the scripture is John 21, verse number 25, and I want you to see this, time is running fast. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written The word says amen. So the point being here is this, that there are many things according to the scripture that we simply do not know and cannot explain. But what I want to share with you right now has some clarity and some speculation. Because what we know about paradise is that the other name for this place before the cross was Abraham's bosom. Paradise before the cross was Abraham's bosom. Now, listen, I'm going to explain something to you here. You got to put your thinking cap on with me real quick here in just a few minutes is all I have left today. When we finished our preaching series on the end times, the close encounters, Bible prophecy, there's a big difference between The bottomless pit and hell, there are two different places. I may not have brought that out into all of the significance that you wanted to hear that particular Sunday, but they were two different places. Before the cross, you have to understand something that paradise, according to the scripture, the first thing. Now, it was Abraham's bosom. I'm going to give you the scriptures for that in just a minute. But here's what I believe happened when Jesus died on the cross. When he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, and we'll get to that particular saying in the next couple of weeks. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And the word says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, what did he do? The Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus salt the body of Jesus. They went to Pilate and said, can we, can we bury him? And Pilate gave them permission. So they went and took the body of Jesus off of the cross and they began to prepare him for his burial. They wrapped him in these spices, a low and myrrh. We'll get to that as Easter Sunday draws near. But I want you to see a very beautiful passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter nine, verse number 12. What did Jesus do? Because listen, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the words that Jesus spoke that brought salvation to us. It wasn't the good life that he lived. It wasn't the good example that he showed to us that brought us salvation. The thing that brought salvation to mankind was the precious blood of Jesus. The Lord Jesus had to be crucified. He had to shed his blood Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. We'll read that in just a minute. It's the blood that saves us. It's the blood that seals us. It's the blood that keeps us. So when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, keep in mind, we don't know everything about this Bible that we would like to know. But listen carefully, I believe the first thing that he did when he said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, I believe the first thing he did while in the process, I'm talking about in the spirit, I believe that he presented the sacrificial blood on the mercy seat of heaven. Why do you believe that? In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12, the Bible says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once, look at this, into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us, there is absolutely no one that can go into heaven without the blood of Jesus being applied to their heart and their life. I don't care what you say, what you do, nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Look at this. And verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often. So you don't get saved but one time. One time is enough. One time Jesus died on the cross. One time was enough. He shed his blood one time. One time's enough. One time being justified from our sins is enough. Look at this nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, once, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this is what I believe happened when the Lord Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I believe he went directly in spirit to the mercy seat of heaven and presented the blood and he said to his father, here it is. Nothing can wash away the sin of the world but this blood, your blood, your holy righteous blood. And I believe he put that blood on the mercy seat of God. Then I believe he descended into the lower parts of the earth, which by the way, hell was divided into two places, a tormenting side and a comforting side. It had two parts to it, and Luke chapter 16, let me speed read this for you real quick here. There was a certain rich man, Luke sixteen nineteen. look at it on the screen here, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, look at this now, being in torments, there was a tormenting side, and there was a comforting side, lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth... Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and he cried and said father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame but thou notice this Abraham said son remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented and beside all of this here's what I want you to know Hell was divided into two places. Talking about the great gulf fixed here. It was a tormenting side and it was a comforting side. The rich man was in hell in the tormenting side. Lazarus was in the comforting side. In between the two, there was a great gulf fix. People could not go back and forth, but they could see one another. They could hear one another. They could talk to one another. As the scripture's clear and plain right here. And besides all this, look at this, between us and you, verse 26, there is a great gulf fix so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And so here's the thing. The unrighteous people of the world if they died without looking to the cross in faith. You see, we're saved today because we look back to the cross, back to what Jesus did on Calvary, back to the fact that he shed his blood for our redemption. But prior to the cross... Those who were living in the day of the law prior to Calvary, they were saved by faith looking to the cross. Do you remember what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 53? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we were healed. 750 years before Jesus went to the cross, Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. So people prior to the cross, they were saved by faith, looking to the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would die on the cross, shed his blood. Now, when people died before the cross who were not righteous, who were not believers, they went to this tormenting compartment of hell, exactly where this rich man was. And you think about this, those counted as righteous, they went to the comforting side, they went to the paradise side or the Abraham's bosom side. And there, here's what was happening. These people here were waiting for their eternal damnation sentence to come about, yet to come. These people who were. In Abraham's bosom, they were waiting for the price of redemption to be paid. They were waiting for the blood to be shed. So while they were waiting, you see, because Jesus, you think about this now, while he was dying on the cross, the blood still had not yet been presented on the mercy seat. It was not finished. It was not complete. And so they were waiting in paradise. They were waiting in Abraham's bosom for the Lord Jesus to make redemption complete. Without the blood on the mercy seat, listen carefully... No one, I don't care who it is, could not get to heaven, could not get to where God was any more than you and I could get to heaven today without the blood of Jesus. In order to get to heaven, we have to have the blood. We have to be covered by the blood. You go back to the Old Testament. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So listen carefully. After the blood was presented on the mercy seat, I believe as the scripture says, I'm going to give you the scripture in just a minute. He descended into the comforting side after his death to reveal to those that were there in Abraham's bosom into paradise that yes, now the debt has been paid. I believe Jesus when he went to preach to the captives, we'll see that in just a minute, that he went saying to those who were in Abraham's bosom who were there in the paradise said, hey, I've just paid the debt. The blood is on the mercy seat. Hey, I'm taking you with me. You think about this. Now, I want you to understand he went to tell them that the blood was on the mercy He went to tell them in the preaching to the captives that Satan and hell and death had been defeated and he had now come to set them free. Now you think about those who were on the other side, those who were on the tormenting side. Now they can't get to them on the comforting side because of the great gulf, but they can talk back and forth. You remember Abraham said, Hey, you can't do that, you can't come back and forth. They had a conversation here. And so here's what happens: the Lord comes down into the comforting side, and he says, Hey, I I've just paid the debt. I've just put the blood on the mercy seat. And think about these over here saying, oh my goodness, it's done forever. And over here, they're shouting it out and saying, glory to God. And now Jesus has descended there. He's preaching the message. And all of a sudden, paradise Abraham's bosom was emptied, and according to the word of God, hell enlarged itself. you got a scripture preacher, yes, Isaiah five fourteen. Therefore, and this is the prophecy of that happening. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Now, here's what happened. Jesus presented the blood on the mercy seat. He descended into the lower parts of the earth and he began to preach to the captives. He led captivity captive. And the word says this, not only did he do that, but then the word says, and he gave gifts to men. The scripture is this Ephesians chapter four, verse number eight, wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And so I believe this, that he delivered the multitudes that were in paradise, Abraham's bosom, the comforting side. He delivered them to the safety of the father. He then returned back in spirit into the, the body because God definitely had to raise him from the dead gloriously bodily. And here's what I want you to understand. When, when the spirit, Jesus now is in the tomb, God's raising him from the dead bodily. You think about this just for a moment. Many of the righteous, many of the righteous also, when Jesus came out of the grave, many of the tombs, many of the graves were opened as well. The word says this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, 53. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many, not all many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. We know that the scripture teaches us that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, Acts chapter 10, verse number 40. Now, I'm over six minutes. So if you need to leave, I I gotta finish this. I need an oxygen tank right now. <laughs> when he came out of the grave bodily now, he's done a couple of things. He's put the blood on the mercy seat. He's gone to Abraham's bosom. Why are we talking about this? preacher? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. He presented the blood on the mercy seat. He, he descended into the lower parts into paradise, Abraham's bosom, the comforting side. And he acknowledged that he had paid the debt. He delivered those that were waiting for all these years for the debt to be paid to the father. Some of them came out of the grave. They had another ministry, it's another sermon. But when he came out of the grave, he had a conversation with Mary. And this is where a lot of folks would get hung up and I want you to see this is very important. If I don't have time to finish much of it, I want to finish this. Look at this. He came out of the grave, had the conversation with Mary, John twenty seventeen. I want you to see this. When the spirit of Jesus replenished his body that was in the grave, you remember God had to raise him from the dead bodily. And when he did that on the third day, the word says Jesus went into the city and showed himself alive for 40 days. But when it first happened, when he first came out of the grave, in John 20, verse 17, you remember what Jesus said to Mary here? He said, touch me not. For I have not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brethren but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now, I asked Justin to put a very special word on the screen for you. It's a Greek word. And in your Bible, if you've looked at John 20, 17 by the word touch, because this is where even, I know a lot of preachers that miss this truth right here. This is very important. This is a Greek word. This is a Greek word for trust. For touch, this word right here does not mean a physical touch. This Greek word for touch means to linger, to stay. When you look this up in the Greek, that's what that means, and, you, and that's how you have to study the Bible. You got to be correct with these things. Jesus, Jesus wasn't saying, "Don't touch me, Mary." a lot of people think that. I'm going to show you why he didn't imply that, why he didn't mean that. But what he was saying is this. Don't linger here. I want you to go tell the others that I'm alive, that God has raised me from the dead. I've got work to do. You've got work to do. Don't linger. That's what this word means. Don't linger. And I want you to go. Now, here's the thing. As you remember, when Jesus did come out of the grave and he showed himself to his disciples, do you remember the one that was hanging around, sort of depressed, and he said, I don't believe it. Peter's saying, he's rose. He's alive. You remember what Thomas said? He said, unless I see the nail prints, I'll not believe So he appeared to the disciples, and there on this particular day, Thomas was there. And Jesus said to Thomas, Reach hither thy hand and touch me. So that is why, that is why the word touch to Mary was not physical, don't touch. Why would Jesus tell Mary not to physically touch Him, and then He turn around and tell Thomas to do it? Are you with me? It wasn't a, it wasn't to linger, is what He said. Now, it's impossible to finish this message at this point. Paradise. When Jesus led the captives out of Paradise, out of Abraham's bosom. Out of the comforting side, hell enlarged itself, which meant paradise wasn't there anymore. And the Lord Jesus took those that were captive or those righteous who were there prior to the cross. With them, he took paradise. Paradise is heaven. Paradise is where the Lord is. It's the third heaven. You got a scripture for that? I got a scripture for everything I'm talking about. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 4. Paul said, I know musicians come forward. I'm out of time. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such a one caught up. Look at this, third heaven, third heaven. That's where God's throne is. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth How that he was caught up into paradise. Up, not down. Not down in the lower parts. Caught up into paradise. And he heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Before the cross, paradise was Abraham's bosom. After the cross, Paradise is heaven where God is. When Jesus said to the thief, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Oh, friend, listen, he took that thief with him. It was a journey. This is what the Lord did. He put the blood on the mercy seat, he descended in the lower parts, he led captivity captive. God brought him out of the grave on the third day bodily. He showed himself alive for 40 days. And then he gathered his disciples to the Mount of Olives on the 40th day. And he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The dying thief rejoiced to see That fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sin away. When Jesus looked at that thief and said, "Hey, you're going to be with me in paradise today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise." You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information. Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.